0: morning our sermon is coming from Luke chapter 9. We're going to continue on in Luke chapter 9 and we're looking this morning at verses 7 through 17. That's Luke chapter 9 verses 7 to 17. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him that Jesus told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces. What we have in this passage is quite the meal. I think if you think about your own life, you've probably had some memorable meals as well. Maybe they're uh, stuck in your memory because of the food, whether it was good or bad. Maybe it was the people who came, maybe it was what happened. We're just a few weeks out from Thanksgiving. I can certainly remember at least two very memorable Thanksgivings in my own life. But as we think about those kind of meals that we remember, this meal that happens here in Galilee is not even close to what we've experienced in our lives. This dinner was memorable, not because of the food. There's no five-star cooking at this meal out in the middle of nowhere. No, it was memorable because this meal is a miracle. Basic as we read this passage, we're meant to ask that basic question. I mentioned it last time Who is Jesus? This whole chapter is pushing us to ask that question Who is Jesus? Who is the one in this passage who can easily feed 5,000 people? Who is this man? Now, as we look at this passage together, we see the answer to that question, actually, that Jesus, Jesus is the one who freely provides for all the needs of all of his people. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is the God who freely provides for every single need for all of his people, Now we're going to see that in three basic parts. There's a revealing question, verses 7 to 9. There's a revealing situation in verses 10 to 14. And there's a revealing solution in verses 14 to 17. One of the reasons I picked revealing for each one is because in this miracle, Jesus actually shows us who he is. This is revelation. Maybe not as dramatic as some accounts, like the transfiguration and just a few passages later, but Jesus is showing us who he is. Let's start then with the revealing question. Now in verse 7, we find out that news has been spreading pretty quickly throughout all of Galilee. People know what Jesus and his apostles have been doing. In verse 7, we meet Herod the Tetrarch. He's basically the king of Galilee. News has reached him now, and he asks the question, Who is this man? Because when he first gets the news, he's very perplexed. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't understand the reports he's hearing. But as he starts piecing the things together, he knows he has to ask a different question. Not just what's happening, but who's the one who's doing this? Who is the one who can work miracles, who can heal the sick, and who is the one who preaches? with an authority that no one else has ever had. Who is Jesus? You can see what the people of Jesus' day thought. Part of Herod's confusion is not just what he sees, but what he hears other people telling him. They've got lots of ideas of who Jesus is. Jesus is a prophet. One group, if you went up to people in Galilee, gave them a microphone, who's Jesus? They would say, well, he's John the Baptist. Okay. Go up to the next group, who is Jesus? Well, he's Elijah. Okay. Go up to the third group, who is he? Well, he's an Old Testament prophet. Those are three different answers, right? They recognize he's a prophet, but they don't quite know who he is. And they're right to say he must be something like a prophet because they see what God is doing. Only God can be the one who's doing this work. They see God behind him. But Jesus cannot be just another prophet. Even one as good as John the Baptist or as powerful as Elijah, he cannot just be another prophet. Luke has actually gone to great lengths in the opening chapters to show us this that Jesus is the one who controls creation. Remember as he stills the storm? His disciples ask the same question Who is he? We also see he is the one who has the power over evil. He's the Son of God and he is the promised Savior. And now, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he is revealing himself to the crowds and he's revealing himself to his apostles as the one they need to provide for them. So, the revealing question who is Jesus? But second, we're going to see a revealing situation in verses 10 to 14. Because the way that Jesus reveals his identity as the one who provides is by a miracle. By feeding over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. But before we look at the miracle itself, think about the context. Think about what is happening around the miracle We see that the miracle of the feeding comes right after Herod's question, but notice also that it comes right after the apostles' mission. Now, we just saw what the connection between Herod's question, who is Jesus, and Jesus' miracle. He's going to answer that question, actually. He's going to show who he is. But there's also a connection between what the apostles have been doing and Jesus' miracle, Last week we looked at what the apostles were doing, remember? Jesus had sent them out in his power and authority to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to heal. And now in our passage, they come back and they report to Jesus all about what they've been up to. We see that in verse 10. But as the story unfolds in verses 10 to 17, it becomes apparent that the apostles actually don't know who Jesus is. They have been serving Jesus, yes, serving him in remarkable ways, but they need to understand a whole lot more about Jesus. So it's actually not just someone like Herod who doesn't fully understand who Jesus is. It's actually Jesus's own followers as well, and his closest followers. Well, the scene opens, the apostles return, they report to Jesus and he immediately takes them away to a quiet spot near the town of Bethsaida. They thought it was quiet for a little bit, but but crowds of people see him and they immediately flock to him. And as they come to Jesus, he does what he always does. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he cured those who had need of healing. Verse 11. Remember that Jesus was preaching and teaching the people about God's power in salvation. And then he was showing them that power in healing. Because in his healings, he is defeating the devil. He is overthrowing sin as they are wrecking the world. But so far, what we see here is normal for Jesus. This could have happened on any day of Jesus' ministry. But as the sun starts to set, something changes. You can see the problem facing the twelve apostles. Look at verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. As it turns out, it wasn't just a, a small gathering, Luke actually records that this is over 5,000 people meeting with Jesus. 5,000 actually is just the number of men. So we're thinking more than that. What about the women? What about the children who are coming to see Jesus? Just to put that number in perspective, I was driving back and forth down the peninsula, went by the Hampton Coliseum, and I thought, that's a big building. I wonder how many that holds. 10,000, roughly. 9,900 and something. Okay basically ten thousand okay so let's let's just put yourself here let's say that you had to fill that arena maybe half full three quarters full all those people were there sort of get a little bit later and a little bit later and someone said why don't you give them dinner on the spot what would your reaction be I, I think you'd be a little uh, I think you'd be a little surprised and you can understand what the, the disciples would are saying here because they're saying Um, Jesus, send these people away because there is no way that we can take care of them. Their response actually seems to be loving and caring. They want these people to be fed. But Jesus, we can't do it. Send them away. Again, we would say, I think, something really similar if we were in a situation like this. So if that's the problem facing them, there's this big, hungry crowd in the middle of nowhere then Jesus's answer must have been really surprising. Verse 13, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. What is Jesus doing? That that doesn't seem to even fit, right? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is actually testing his apostles. He knows that they can't feed the crowd, right? As they tell him, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he also knows there's no way they can go into those other villages and buy enough bread to actually feed the crowds. Jesus knows that. And so he's testing them because he wants to see, do the apostles know and believe that he can feed the crowd? As we find out, looks like they don't. And the irony of this, the irony of the apostles looking at Jesus and saying we can't do anything is these are the very same apostles who just a few hours before came back from preaching and healing with Jesus's power and authority but now these very same men look Jesus in the face and don't see how his power could ever apply to the situation right in front of them This is actually something that Jesus is being very gracious to do. He is purposefully putting his apostles in this situation to reveal their lack of understanding and their lack of faith. He is purposefully pushing them to the edge, but he's not going to leave them there. This is where we see his grace, not only to show them how much they don't know about him, but then actually to use that, to use that lack of understanding, that lack of faith, to teach them that he is able and willing to provide for every need of his people. And even more than that, he's actually gracious to even use the apostles in that very process. So that's the revealing situation. And finally, we see a revealing solution, verses 14 to 17. This is really where the miracle happens. And the details are are simple enough. Jesus says, have them all sit down. The apostles obey and have everyone sit down in groups. Then Jesus takes those, those same five loaves and two fish. He blesses them, thanking God, breaks them, and gives them to his disciples to distribute. Very simple conclusion. And they all ate and were satisfied. Verse 17. It's not so simple, is it? Every single person who is there, over 5000 people ate as much food as they wanted that may have been one of the best meals of their entire lives they could eat as much as they wanted this is this is a miracle jesus took that bread and that fish and he multiplied them to feed the entire crowd but here's the key that every miracle has a point Jesus uses his miracles. He uses his power to teach us about who he is and what he's here to do. Sometimes he gives parables or gives teaching times, but also through his miracles he is teaching us. The lesson of this particular miracle seems to be mainly for the apostles. Notice, interestingly in Luke, the reaction of the crowd is never mentioned. We don't know what they thought about this. We just know that they disappeared with full bellies. But we also know that the the lesson is really for the apostles because the apostles are the problem. Remember, they're the ones who just, how many minutes ago, expressed a lack of faith, that there is no way that we can feed this crowd. So the lesson is for the apostles, but it's also for us as well. As we are now following Jesus. And the question is, what did they need to learn? What was Jesus teaching them? And what is Jesus teaching us through this miracle? There's a couple of lessons here. First, see that Jesus in this miracle is revealing that he is the God who provides. This is a miraculous feeding. Can you think of any other miraculous feedings in the Bible? Look back into the Old Testament. The one that probably springs to mind is God feeding his people with manna in the 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus' miracle here, he's making the same point. He is showing actually by feeding the people that he is the exact same God as what their fathers experienced in the wilderness. He is the same God meeting the same need For the same people. It's true this miracle is on just a smaller scale, right? It's only for 5,000 people, and it's only one time. But Jesus's identity comes through very clearly. So Jesus shows that he is actually the God who provides, because the only one who's able to feed like this is God. If you think about through the Old Testament, that really comes out clearly, because how many times do we see God is the one who provides. You can think about Abraham. He's about to sacrifice his son Isaac. God provides that lamb. God is the one who provides. We looked at it in Psalm 23 as God is our shepherd. Or in Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pasture. God is the one who provides for his people. But actually, we also see something else, that Jesus is revealing that he provides for our physical Needs. It's easy to skip over that and immediately to jump maybe into how Jesus meets our spiritual needs. But don't miss the fact that these are 5,000 hungry people and Jesus gives them real bread to meet a real hunger in real stomachs. Jesus is meeting their physical needs. You know, God does not just care about your soul. We can sometimes fall into thinking that, that God really cared about my salvation. And what that means is that, he just wants my soul. He wants my faith. No, God cares about your body. He cares about you, body and soul. Think about what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Does he say, uh, Lord, just protect me from evil and make sure that I'm extra holy? And No, he prays for some of those very same things. But remember what he says, give us this day our daily bread. That is a very legitimate prayer for us to pray. And as we think about providing for our physical needs, it's not just for the big things. That's another thing we do. Maybe if I'm really sick, then I need God to be able to help me. I need Jesus to help me. But there really is nothing that is too small to bring to Jesus. Could these people have gone to another village and ate some food and been okay? Yeah, they could have even fasted and woken up the next morning and been okay. Their need in the grand scheme of things was really small. But even then, Jesus meets their need. There is no need that is too small to bring to Jesus. Health? Yes. Guidance in life? Yes. Something going wrong at work? Bring it to Jesus. Do you even need daily food and provision? Yes. Think of it as a father. What's something that we pray for? Even finding lost toys. God cares about that. Jesus provides really everything that we need. But third, Jesus reveals that he's not just meeting our physical needs. He is actually meeting our most basic need, the need for salvation. Jesus people, and we all know that we need food. Every time you feel hungry, you're reminded of that basic physical need that you need to eat. But when Jesus feeds the crowd, when he chooses to use that most basic thing that you need... He's actually going deeper. He's using this as a picture to show you the salvation and the life that he alone can bring. Do you really know what you need more than food? Might be a Sunday school answer, but it's true. We need salvation. We need to be right with God. We need forgiveness that comes from God. And we need fellowship with God again. Why do we need that? We need that because sin is not just other people's sin. It's our own sin. What does Paul say in Romans? All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is each one of us in this room. That is each one of us in this world. And because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment. That's why we need forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness, God to forgive our sins, and we need him to make us right with himself. We need that forgiveness and fellowship, and Christ alone does this. He died. He died so that our sins can be forgiven, so that now we can be counted as righteous in God's sight, and that we can actually one day be present with a holy God forever. You know, if you don't know that you are a sinner, then you don't know how much you need Jesus. You don't know what a great provision Jesus is for you. That's something to think about for yourself, but it's also something to think about for others as you explain the gospel to them. You need to show them their need for Christ. They need to see how great a gift God has given us. But you know we don't just need Christ at the beginning of our Christian walk. It's not just that we have like a moment of salvation and I needed Jesus then. No, Christ actually continues to provide for us every step of the way. That's also something that feeding picks up on because Jesus continues to feed us. Jesus continues to provide for us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And through his Spirit, then he's working in you at every moment, true holiness. He's working in you to provide perseverance, to make it to the end. He's at work in you to give you assurance. He's at work in you to increase your faith. He is always going to be meeting all of your needs. Listen to these words of encouragement from Romans 8. I love this passage. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We really, truly have everything that we need for this life and for the life to come in Christ. But this is very important. We have everything in and only in Christ. Because it's not that Jesus gives us something way out here so that we can find it somewhere else. No, Jesus gives us himself. And when he gives us himself, when we're actually united to him, then we receive all his benefits. Then we receive that salvation. Then we receive that holiness. Then we receive that perseverance, that assurance, that faith, that relationship with God. So Jesus is meeting our most basic need by giving us that salvation. Salvation in the fullest sense. Everything that we need for life now and the life to come. But there are at least two more lessons to be learned by how Jesus does this miracle. He shows us that he's actually supplying our needs willingly. We do not have to twist Jesus's arm to do something like this. Did you notice the disciples? Were they down on their knees begging for Jesus to perform this miracle? Jesus, do you see this need? Why aren't you doing something? Please, please. please." No. They actually don't even recognize the need in his power, but Jesus does, and Jesus chooses. Jesus chooses to meet the need Jesus chooses to do that because he loves his people. If you think about the cross, the cross is the greatest expression of Jesus' love for you. It really is. You did not force Jesus to go to the cross. God the Father did not force his son to go to the cross. No. Jesus freely chose to meet your needs. He was willing to die on your behalf. But you know what we also see here? We see in this miracle that Jesus supplies all of our needs He willingly supplies us with even more than we need. Did you notice that detail in verse 17? It's really interesting at the end. Everyone is done eating and there are still 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 whole baskets. We do not have some kind of skimpy God or a miserly savior, He abundantly supplies what He need, what we need, both now, and actually in heaven forever. He's going to give us so much more. We read about it again in Psalm 23. I love this picture. My slightly full? No. My cup is full to the very top? No. My cup overflows. That is the kind of blessing that God gives us, and that Jesus shows as he feeds the people. I want you to put yourself in the apostles' place now as the sun finally sets. They are standing before Jesus now with a basket of bread each at their feet as the 5,000 plus people go home. You can imagine some of the thoughts going through their minds. Jesus is not just a prophet. Okay, It's true. Remember, Moses promised manna and it came. Actually, Elisha second kings he multiplied some food but only for a hundred men if the greatest prophets never even came close to the miracle that we just saw hmm jesus must be more than a prophet and actually jesus as god is the only one who can do what we just saw who is jesus But it's not just what Jesus did that amazes them and makes them ask that question. Think about also the love and care that Jesus just showed. Jesus showed amazing love to the crowds who came to hear him, some of whom maybe didn't even follow him. Jesus showed them love and care, but he showed love and care to his apostles. Instead of rebuking them for their... out of people, and you think I can't do this? No. He gently gives them an object lesson. And instead of then also having them kind of stand off to the side in the naughty corner, you got to turn around and watch this, he involves them in his ministry. Did you notice that? They're the ones who give out the food. They are the ones who pick up the leftovers. Jesus is amazingly gracious with his apostles. Again, the question, Who? is Jesus. And what the apostles are beginning to see even more clearly, and what we also can see, is that Jesus really is the Son of God. He is that promised and loving Savior, and he is both able and willing to meet every need, spiritual and physical, every need of his people. Do you find yourself like the apostles, though, sometimes? I do. Forgetting Jesus' power, forgetting Jesus's love and care for you as his child, as his sheep. And yet how many times in our lives does Jesus, just like he did to the apostles, gently remind us of his power and his love for us. so many times. Give thanks for that. How should we respond then to Jesus from this passage? Well first, This whole chapter and this passage in particular is pointing us to say, Who is Jesus? Ask that question. Ask that question. Who is Jesus? Is he someone just who can help you? Or is he the Savior that you desperately need? Do you see the difference there? Is he just someone that's helpful? Or is he actually the one that you need? The one and only Savior who can meet all of your needs. We can also respond by trusting Jesus to meet all of our needs. When we see a passage in Scripture like this, it actually increases our faith as we see Jesus at work. What do you need right now in your life? I want you to think about that. What do you need right now in your life? Are there sins that you are struggling with? Do you need encouragement? Are you discouraged in the Christian life? What about your health? What about your finances? What about your relationships? What do you need? Jesus will meet that need. I'm not saying a a name it and claim it kind of gospel. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if Jesus is true, if Jesus really loves you, if he really cares for you, then he is going to give you exactly what you need. Sometimes it might not be what you think you need, That's actually one of the great encouragements is he actually gives us what he knows that we need. Take those things to God in prayer. Pray for Jesus to be the God that he shows himself to be here to provide for you right now. But also finally, we can pray and we can serve and we can live the Christian life knowing that this same Jesus who feeds the 5,000 just like that He is at work to feed every one of his people. You and I, we're like the apostles. We're we're just passing out the bread in a sense. And we need to do this. You know, we need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be in worship. We need to be in the word and prayer. We need to be helping others with their needs. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone who is at work through his Holy Spirit. And we will. Listen carefully. We will see his power and his love in the lives of his people just as surely as his apostles watch those people walk away full that night. This passage is a great encouragement for us. This is the Jesus that we serve, the one who willingly, freely, and powerfully meets all of our needs. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would show us to be exactly that kind of Savior, the Savior and the God who meets our needs. You know what we need even better than ourselves, and we pray that you would be so gracious to meet every one of our needs. And Lord, when we see our needs being met by you, when we see just how great your power and your love for us is, we pray that we wouldn't be able to stop from praising you and from sharing that good news of what you've been doing in our lives with others. And Lord, we pray that as you work and as we respond, you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.